We're happy to have this episode sponsored by Real Mushrooms. You probably already know about some of the great benefits of adding mushrooms to your diet, like better sleep, greater mental clarity, and a stronger immune system, but not all mushroom products are equal. Real Mushrooms is the real deal. Many mushroom companies harvest the mushroom and the grain it's growing on. Real Mushrooms products contain no grains or starch fillers. They're organic, cultivated naturally, and third-party verified for beta-glucans, the compound that makes them so valuable as a supplement. They even have a science and medical team of doctors who ensure that Real Mushrooms meets the highest standards. What I personally love is how informative their website is. Have questions about what mushroom is right for you? They have a robust blog with articles ranging from women's health to what mushrooms are most beneficial to your pet. Want to boost your immune system? Have better sleep and feel more calm? Grab the link in the show notes and get 25% off of your first order. Curiously enough, acupuncture is not just sticking needles into people. It's part of a coherent and observation-based medicine that experienced practitioners of the art have handed down over the centuries. I'm Michael Max, your host and guide of Everyday Acupuncture. Listen in as we explore how you can apply the principles of this ancient medicine in your everyday life. Hey everybody, welcome to the show. Today, I've got Lisa Hanfiletti with me. Lisa is an acupuncturist in Vancouver, Washington. Yes, that's the other Vancouver, the one that's here in the States, right across the river from Portland. And she has an acupuncture practice that she's been at for over 15 years. While it originally didn't start with treating people with pain, or a lot of people with pain, it's tended to move in that direction. And so that's going to be the focus of our talk today. Uh, In addition to that, she's the instigator and the moderator of the Acupuncture Business Academy, which is a Facebook group for acupuncturists who are trying to get their business thing together. And uh, that's actually where I ran into her. She's got some uh, really down-to-earth ideas on just, you know, like how to live your life, do your business, do your practice. And so it made me want to talk to her about medicine because she's just so dang practical. Uh, (laughs) Lisa, welcome to the show. Thank you, Michael. Good to be here. So you started off with just a regular kind of treat everything acupuncture practice, and, and it seems like things have gravitated toward treating more pain. What are the kinds of, of issues that you generally see people with these days? Well, I'll first start out by saying that what I did is not necessarily what I would recommend other acupuncturists do. And that is kind of just open a practice without a big plan of who you want to attract uh, to your practice to treat. Um, in fact, I wrote a little ebook that says 10 big mistakes I made opening my acupuncture practice and what you can do to avoid them. Uh, just so that others might not repeat some of the things that I did. And in saying that, I'll say I was very fortunate because the people that did find me um, sort of created the basis for what I, I love to do now, which is treat pain. And I went and did some stats on my practice, and I'd say about 35% of the people who come see me come see me for back pain. That is their primary chief complaint. Mm. Um, there's another 25% that back pain is 
their secondary or tertiary complaints. So they might come to me for headaches, but they also have back pain, or they might have knee pain, but they also have back pain. So I see quite a few people who either have it as a primary complaint or, you know, it's something else that's just kind of nagging them and it's kind of been in the background. So in a conversation that we had a while back, you were talking about that you've got this handout that you give your patients curing your back pain overnight. Boy, did that catch yes. my attention. You, <laughs> now, is that marketing mojo or, or is this the real deal? Tell us what's going on with this. Well, I do have a handout called How to Cure Your Back Pain Overnight, and this is just something I give to my patients. And I actually go through this with them in the treatment room. So I make it clear, you know, all my patients know in the, be- in the beginning, regardless of what they have, I want them to see a primary care practitioner. So I have my disclaimer of sorts that, you know, lets them know that they really do need to find out what the cause is if possible. And a lot of times what we're doing when I'm referring them back to their primary practitioner is just ruling out causes of back pain that could require urgent medical care. So with that in With that context, then I go through with them how to cure back pain overnight, which is a way to sleep in bed so that their back is in the best position to promote healing and to prevent their back from being in a position that causes stagnation of circulation. And we can get into some of those kind of concepts or Chinese medicine concepts, but I learned that the way you sleep at night is crucial to allowing your spine and back muscles to have maximum amount of circulation so that the muscles and the tendons and the bones and everything can heal. How did you come across this? Well, (laughs) I came across it after not seeing the kind of success I would expect with patients. So, you know, Michael, when you treat people for back pain, you kind of have an idea of how many treatments it's going to take and what you should be hearing back from them when they come back after their first visit, second or third visit. Mm -hmm. And for most people, I'll say they should see some kind of change within one to six treatments. Uh, And I'm really expecting to see significant changes within the first three treatments. And what happened enough times for me to question them further about what they were doing at night is that the typical kind of thing I would hear is, patient would come back in after their first, second, or third treatment and say, my back felt great right after the treatment. And then the next day felt okay. And then the day after it felt a little worse. And then several days later, and it it got back to the level of pain it was when they initially came in. I've never heard that in my clinic. (laughs) (laughs) You're much better than I am then. (laughs) No, this is, this is classic. This is, this is really, really common. So it's, it's with that sort of pattern that I've had to dig a little deeper and ask them questions about what they're doing because my assumption then is there's something they're either doing or not doing that's causing the pain to return and it's, or it's preventing the uh, healing from happening. And those are really kind of two different things. Mm-hmm. So, but regardless of which it is, the way they sleep at night, the way they spent a third of their day. So that's eight hours, I'm assuming, you know, six to eight in bed is very important for allowing that healing to happen and to get the kind of muscles that might be tense or 
uh, shortened to lengthen and to relax. So this this method that you're going to share with us here shortly came out of digging into why is it that people would feel better and then like slowly things would go back to where they were. Right. And I'll, I'll just tell you a quick story. One of the the reasons that this, you know, really occurred to me to start questioning different types of things is when I was an intern, I remember my professor had told me that he was treating a gentleman for uh, elbow pain. And it was actually golfer's elbow. There's tennis elbow and there's golfer's elbow. And, and it truly was because he played a lot of golf. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. you can have golfer's elbow for other reasons besides golf. Uh, and so the professor told the story how the, the guy would get a lot better and then he'd come back each week or each visit at whatever the interval was and say the pain was exactly where it was the week before. So he'd get a little bit of benefit and it would come back, get a little benefit and it would come back. And so it wasn't until the teacher asked him about what he was doing and what he found out was he would feel so good after each acupuncture treatment that he would go out and not just play one 18 round of golf, but he would play a second one because he felt so good. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he was going back and, you know, exacerbating the, the problem that was being treated. And so, um, it, yeah. he, the professor made it clear, you know, you have, you have to make sure that you're telling people to not do certain things that can contribute to the problem, if not cause it. So it, you know, it's, this is so true. And, and I find that I often tell people, even if I don't think they need to hear it, that when you start feeling better, whatever you're doing, whatever activity that, that, that you're up for and that you enjoy, don't do it at 100%. Keep it dialed yeah. back to about 80% because you'll often feel better before you are better. Yeah, that's really key. It really, really key. is key. Yeah, it's, it's a huge thing. Uh, we often think that healing is this linear progression. And if I feel better, I am better. Forgetting that, well, actually, there's a road we've traveled to get us to where we are. And, and you know, you can easily slip back right? In, unless you've really consolidated the treatment. Yeah. And I love that uh, telling people to dial it back. I do that, too. I, I usually say, you know, 75%. So if they're used to doing, you know, an hour of exercise, do 45 minutes. If yeah. they're used to doing, you know, whatever their 100% is, just give it 75%. And what I love about that is it forces them to pay attention. Yes. And that's part of the it, the really broader thing that we're trying to get at is to really pay attention to what your body's telling you and pay attention to what you're doing with your body. Great. So what's this, what's this process that you came up with for sleeping your way into a better back? <laughs> oh, I like that. I'm going to actually write that down. Sleeping your way into the back. (laughs) (laughs) So it's it's relatively simple. Uh, And these are the steps that I go over. The first step is to take the pillow off your bed and lay on your back so that your head is on the mattress. So your head is on the mattress on the same plane as your spine, your shoulders, the rest of your back. And I do say and recommend that they put the pillow underneath their knees just to take some of the weight off the uh, lower back yeah exactly and in my treatment room i actually have two bolsters so that 
my patient can have a bolster underneath the knees and a bolster of the same size underneath their ankles. And most people like that so that their knees and their ankles are in the same horizontal plane, a little higher than the mattress or the treatment table. But I encourage people to play around with that, to get a blanket and roll it up or pillow, an extra pillow and roll it up, put it underneath their ankles, put it underneath their knees and see how that feels. They can pull one out or leave them both in. So the first step is really to just make sure the head is on the mattress. This is the most important part. Same plane with the back and then try to find the right support for the knees and or ankles. I shouldn't say or ankles. You'd never have a bolster under just the ankles. So it's either going to be under the knees and ankles or just the knees. Got it. So once that's done, then the arms are just at their side. The palms can be up or down, but they should also be on the mattress. And then the goal there is to just take a nice deep breath. Just feel what it feels like to allow the shoulders to kind of relax back into the mattress. A lot of times we roll our shoulders forward. Mm. Um, and when you have a pillow under your head, it can often push the, the shoulders forward as well. So allowing the head and neck to relax, shoulders to relax, hips to relax. For a few people, it is more comfortable to have a little bit of support underneath the neck. And so for them, what I'll do is recommend rolling up like a hand towel, just a towel. Just roll it up a little bit so you have a little neck roll and put it underneath the neck. And the important thing here is that it's not something that's pushing into the neck. It shouldn't be bending those vertebrae, those cervical vertebrae in the neck. It should just be a little bit of, of a support so that maybe their head doesn't roll from side to side. Mm-hmm. So some people, you know, have really strong curves in the neck and some are not curved at all. So that also has to be modified depending on what's most comfortable. Now, could they take that little rolled towel and just sort of put it under the occiput just to put a little traction on the neck? Sometimes I find my patients find that feels more comfortable. I would say they could do that at different times. Uh, I wouldn't recommend doing that for my purpose right now, which would be to help them sleep this way. So I wouldn't want them to sleep with the traction, but they could certainly do that as something kind of in between or maybe before, you know, for a few minutes uh, before they were getting ready to go to sleep. Mm -hmm. Just not as a permanent thing for the next eight hours. But as you'll see, I don't recommend that they do this for the entire night. In fact, what I do is I tell them, to lay this way in this position for five minutes. So what they're doing is they're giving themselves permission after that five minutes to roll under their side or their stomach or whatever position is most comfortable for them to sleep in. And the reason I do this is because sleep is the most important thing. We don't want to interrupt sleep. We don't want to have the back feel good, but people are sleep deprived. <laughs> mm-hmm. So we can't, we can't just change a habit. If, if someone's been sleeping on their side for most of their life, you can't just all of a sudden say, all right, now I want you to sleep on the back on your back forever. Yeah. I would so find this- a different acupuncturist if mine said that to me. <laughs> what do you mean I can't sleep on my side? Right. Yeah. So if you just do, we can do anything for five minutes. Most people can do anything. So, so you're just resting this way, deep breaths, arms at the side, knees supported, they can do that for five minutes. And then they can pull the pillow out from under their knees, return it to their head and get comfortable and, sl- and then sleep on their side or their stomach. Now, 
if they should wake up in the middle of the night, go to the bathroom, or they just, they're rearranging positions, they notice they're awake, then I recommend that they repeat this process. So they pull the pillow out, their head on the mattress, put the pillow underneath their knees and lay like that for five minutes. Now, you can guess or you can imagine that doing this several times a night, most people are going to actually end up falling asleep on their back in this position. And mm-hmm. that's kind of the goal. That's the kind of end around goal that we're trying to get at is to really be in this position much longer than five minutes. But even if they just did it for the five minutes, five minutes when they go to bed at night, and then I usually recommend that if they can, if they're working and they can hit the snooze snooze alarm, so they set their alarm five minutes ahead and then hit snooze for five. So they do it right before they get up in the morning. Then even if they just did it that right when they went to bed and right when they get up, that's 10 minutes more a night that their body is in this even horizontal plane. And I will talk about the advantages of this in just a moment. They're in that plane for 10 more minutes a night than they were prior to this. And they're not all squished up in a ball on their side or on their stomach for those 10 minutes. So it's really a double benefit. It's 10 fewer minutes that they're tightened up and and circulation is not flowing as well in 10 more minutes that they've got great circulation going. So it's a, it's a huge benefit if they just did it twice a night. Yeah. It, it, and it sounds way more comfortable than doing exercises. <laughs> it is much yeah. more comfortable. Yeah. Are you, I'm going to throw something else out here. Are you familiar with a book called eight steps to a pain-free back? I am not familiar with that. I would encourage you to take a look at it. This woman, Esther Go Clay, acupuncturist, actually, although these days she's doing more with postural. What does she call it? Basically, she's teaching some new postural habits, eight of them to deal with with painful backs. And one of the things that she talks about, one of the first things she talks about is something called stretch laying, which it sounds like what you're doing, basically, Mm -hmm. where you give a person an opportunity to just let their spine hang and decompress. Mm Mm-hmm. Right, we're not dealing with the forces of gravity. We're not scrunched up this way or that way or twisted. You're just laying there with your spine in a basically neutral position, and that just lets all the muscles relax and the nervous system let go a little bit and increases blood flow. I mean, all the stuff we think about as acupuncturists. I love this. Uh, what's so fascinating to me when I teach my patients this is that. When I ask them to put their head on the mattress instead of using a pillow, they can't remember the last time they ever did that. And I think this is one of the biggest keys. And in fact, if I have, if I'm treating people with headaches or migraines, I teach them the same technique because I think it's so important for neck circulation. Mm. I, I also warn people the first time that they do this, they might feel a little dizzy. And part of the reason is because when the head is on the same plane as the rest of the back, that it changes the, uh, the way the sinuses drain. And I'll say probably 50-50, half the people say that they breathe better, less snoring, because that's one of the complaints I get from people is that they don't want to sleep on their back because they snore. Mm-hmm. But if you remove the pillow it changes the way the sinuses articulate in there. And so it, it's definitely worth a try to see 
if uh, people can actually sleep better, get more oxygen, have fewer headaches. Yeah. So you, so you would have your sinus headache people do this as well then, wouldn't you? Not just sinus headache, but even tension headache, you know, muscle tension in the neck. Mm-hmm. Just, a, yeah, any kind of headache people, I'll have them try this as well. Wow. Okay. I've, I've lost quite a few patients actually by teaching them this. <laughs> they don't need acupuncture anymore. It's great. Yeah. Okay. So you're the, you're the uh, acupuncture business academy maven. How is it that we've got such a goofy business model? Our job is to get customers and then get rid of them as soon as possible. Right. Yeah. I, I think it's a great business model. It, it speaks to uh, what we want to do and the reason why we became acupuncturists in the first place, and that's to help people. And it feels great. Yes. We wouldn't do this if, if we couldn't get people better. It feels really good. And we all know that there are plenty of people who can benefit from this. And so the, the business model really is to just keep letting people know that this type of uh, treatment technique, acupuncture, and the other things that we do can bring them great benefit. And I find that the more people that you help and release out there so that they don't need acupuncture more are the ones that tell other people that refer and bring them back to me. So I, I haven't found that to be a problem. That's been my greatest, greatest joy and way I've kept my practice full. I'm usually booked out a few weeks, if not longer, just depends on time of year. So there's plenty of patients and plenty of people that can benefit from what we do. Yes. Well, and plenty of people that didn't even know that this stuff could help them. And, uh, you know, you you help some people out with it and they tell their friends and they go, wow, acupuncture can deal with that. I had no idea. And Right. And there, you know, this too, Michael, there there are certain ways to help, help patients, let their friends and family know to refer. So I I don't just send them off and hope they refer. I, I have a you know, a way that I let them know that I appreciate their referrals and I give them cards and brochures to pass along. So there's a little bit of action I do take on my part for that, for that reason, especially when I know somebody's benefiting and probably won't need to come back again. Yeah. Well, we'll pick that conversation up over on the uh, Facebook website then. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds good. (laughs) Let's, yeah. So let's get back to this, this uh, sleeping your way into a pain-free back. Hope you're enjoying the show. I'd love to know about what topics are of interest to you. If you have a health concern, or if you want to know specifics about how acupuncture can help to promote vibrant well-being, visit the website at www.everydayacupuncturepodcast.com and send an email. Okay couple of the things that I do like to talk to people about, and I think it really opens their eyes, is that this, you mentioned it earlier, this force of gravity. And when somebody is laying on their back with their head, again, in the same horizontal plane as their spine, you now have gravity working in your favor, where if you think about it, it's now pulling equally on both sides of the spine. So those muscles and the shoulders and the hips and are getting this nice equal, I'll call it pressure, that's uh, completely even. There isn't any, you know, one side more than the other kind of thing going on. As, and if you contrast that with laying on one side, so if I'm laying on my left side, I'm putting pressure on my left shoulder and left hip 
along the entire side, of course, but those two joints take the brunt of it. And that cuts off circulation in there. And sometimes people can notice that their arms will, their left arm, left hip, left leg will go numb. But equally often, the right arm can go numb because you now have circulation fighting gravity to get into that right shoulder joint and that upper hip joint. So you, you also have those shoulders curling in, depending on where that arm is. There's usually an arm under the pillow, an arm above the head, or, you know, so you get all this curling and tightening of muscles. The spine is twisted and torqued a bit just by the very nature of being on your side. Doesn't matter how much support you have, the spine's never going to be straight just because of the weight and, and the distribution of gravity there, the way it's having its effect and impact. So, and sleeping on the stomach, I think is even worse just because it forces the neck to tip twist. And when you force the neck to twist one side or the other, the rest of the spine is also feeling that torque. So this is a really, this is like just a super neutral position that people get to inhabit that, I mean, I can't think of any time in our day-to-day life where we'd actually get to put our spine into that kind of a neutral state. Exactly. Yeah, I don't think there is one. Mm-mm. So simple. Kids know this. <laughs> kids, kids know how to do this. Yeah, it, it's interesting, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. They just lay on their back with their knees up. <laughs> so how long do people have to do this before they start noticing results? And that's variable. I've had people come back to me the following week. And not only say they're now sleeping on their back the whole night through, but they've noticed a significant change in their pain level and they're feeling better and all kinds of different things. Of course, the other aspect of this is when you sleep better, everything gets better. So for, for some people, they're having back pain, and that's part of what's keeping them up at night. When they start sleeping or at least going for five minutes in this neutral position, Everything gets better. Sleep gets better. Back gets better. And then because the back pain's better, the sleep gets better. So you have this wonderful spiral out of this pain cycle. And some weekly acupuncture. That couldn't hurt. That helps a lot, too. And then I've had other people come. They've needed really. I tell them to give themselves six months to really teach themselves how to to do this five minutes at night at bedtime and five minutes in the morning. I think I was saying 10 minutes earlier, but it was just five and five. Mm-hmm. Um, Although if somebody wanted to do 10, that wouldn't be a problem. Sure. It would be even yeah, better. They could, exactly. Yeah. This is one of those cases where more is better. <laughs> so uh, I, I, I tell people that it can take a long time to train. But don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. And, and people do get it over time. And I'd say, if you've been a lifelong side or stomach sleeper and you get yourself to the point after six months of being maybe 50%, even 30% on your back, it's still a huge dramatic difference for your system and your body. Yeah. It's a big, big difference. It doesn't have to be 100% sleeping on your back. Well, and I suspect that as people do this, they get used to it and they feel the result. Most importantly, they feel the results. Mm-hmm and notice the results, you don't have to think about, oh, I've got to go lay down in this weird position. You're like, great, I get to lay down and feel good. Exactly. And that's a huge motivator, Michael. When you feel better, you want to just keep feeling better. You don't want to go back to where you were. I've noticed that. There seems to be a strange 
propensity for things to work in that way. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, it, one of the things I've noticed with my patients, not just back pain, but all kinds of musculoskeletal things, is the acupuncture seems to bring a bit more kinesthetic awareness to their body and, and, and themselves. And mm-hmm. so sometimes they'll come back in and say things to me like, I remember this, this one guy who uh, was a computer programmer, right? So he was driving a mouse all day. And he had these one-sided headaches and shoulder pain on the right. You know, the us- I mean, the usual thing, right? right. And um, I treated him. He came back. He came back one more time after that and said, I think I found my problem. And I, I said, what? He says, well, I got back to work and I felt pretty good. And I got to working and, and all of a sudden the pain came back. And when the pain came back, I noticed that my elbow had, had like raised up in the air. And I uh-huh. thought that, and, and when you do that, I mean, you, you know, listeners could do that right now. You could sit there, right? Pretend you're holding onto the mouse, raise up your elbow and you'll feel everything tighten up along that one side, up into your neck, up into your head. Mm-hmm. So this guy noticed it. He goes, ow, that hurts when I do that. And so he simply dropped his elbow. And all the tension and pain went away. He's like, wow, wow that's interesting. You know, he gets into his work, blah, 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 notices the pain. Oh, notices the elbows up, drops the elbow. And he just, over just the course of a day or two, trained himself not to lift his elbow when he used his mouse hand. He was fine. That's great. Uh, I love it when, uh, I think you're right, that part of the acupuncture and part of our education with patients is about that paying attention to what's going on, paying attention to what they're doing. And I always tell my patients that they have to be a good detective. They have to really uh, pay attention to the simple things, the things they're doing every day, like the way they stand when they're doing the dishes. That's I find that to be a, a common sort of that little forward bend for the low back. It happens doing the dishes or brushing teeth or making the bed. Uh, to some extent, sitting at a desk, uh, walking if they're walking up hills or upstairs, paying attention to those little subtle things that they're doing and noticing how they feel. And to me, that's when they have that awareness, that becomes one of the best things for them for the next year, five years, 10, 20 years going forward, because then they can become their own uh, detective, their own diagnostician, so to speak. Yes. (laughs) their own acupuncturist, you know, so they can come in and say, I've noticed when I'm doing these things, this is what's happening. At the same time, I'll say that I do refer quite a bit to physical therapists to try to help them be their own detective, to try to help them figure out some of the things that they might be doing that is contributing to whatever pain they're having. I don't know. Do you use a lot of physical therapists in in your line? I generally don't refer to physical therapists, and that's just because here in St. Louis, um, physical therapy is extremely popular. It's like the first thing that MDs will prescribe for their patients, and mm-hmm. so most of my patients are already doing some sort of physical therapy thing, or or 
or they've been through a couple of courses of physical therapy and it hasn't gotten the results they wanted, so they're coming to see me. I see. Um, but in terms of reminding people that physical therapy is an option, St. Louis is lousy with physical therapists. I mean, it's everywhere. So it, it's nothing I yeah. have to remind people about. It's, <laughs> you know, it's in the water, so to speak. Okay, so is that it? Is that it for the um, curing your back pain overnight? Just doing this thing for- a couple you know, a couple of times a night on a regular basis? That's, that's kind of one of the huge pieces that I find will really unlock change. Then they'll start to see uh, the acupuncture really take an effect and anything mm-hmm. else that they're doing really have a good effect. So some of the other things that I will often recommend are topical type things like liniments, heat. I use infrared pads in my clinic, but they could just use heat pads at home. And then gentle, mild exercise, whatever they're comfortable with. I typically just recommend walking on flat surfaces, being careful not to do uphill or do inclines. Uh, I know Stairmasters were big a while ago, and I always make sure people aren't doing Stairmasters or doing treadmills with the incline up because that can create more pressure. Yes. But any of, any of the things that they're, that they had been doing in the past that maybe gave them intermittent help, I'll let them know that they should go back and try to try some of those things now that they're sleeping differently because those things may give them the benefit that they, the longer lasting benefit that they were looking for initially. One of the guys I interviewed here a while back had this great phrase. He said, motion is lotion. Oh, I love that. Yeah. It's a really good one that, you know, as much as possible, even if we've got pain or difficulty, some motion, I mean, the body really needs it. And uh, like we were just talking about, if you can especially pay attention to what feels good and what doesn't, I mean, it, it, it's almost like that joke about the guy going to the doctor and saying, doctor, it hurts when I do this. And the doctor goes, well, don't do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but there is an element of that that's true. Yeah. About coming to that mindfulness and recognizing, hey, this this helps, this doesn't, and do less of the stuff that doesn't, at least until you've got some more resiliency built up. Exactly. I'm going to switch this a little bit. I got another question, and this also gets into putting the back into a different state. I've got a number of patients that have used inversion tables where you, you kind of hook your feet into uh, – this thing and you and you flip yourself upside down, thus very much decompressing your spine. I mean, you're standing on well, you're not standing on your head. You're hanging by your ankles. Mm-hmm. Have you used those? Do you have thoughts about that? I have not used them. I do have. I can think of one patient right now who uses um, an inversion table regularly and really likes it. Feels like it gives him great benefit. So I'm kind of neutral on it. I typically, you know, any kind of thing that I'm not that familiar with, I ask them if they feel like it's helping. And if it is, keep doing it. And if it isn't, stop doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't seen any research, any data to show that it is a problem, that it causes anything negative. So in that sense, I kind of feel like unless I see something that, you know, it could be a problem, I, I would not discourage somebody from doing that. What's been your sense? Well, the patients I have that use it seem to really like it. Yeah. It tends to give, and again, I haven't looked at research either on this, but from, though, from the reports I get back from people, 
they say that it, you know, in the moment will help to reduce pain. And I mean, to me, that makes a lot of sense. You're actually um, letting gravity pull things the other way. So if you've got compressed discs, if you've got a spine that is, um, you know, a little kinked up, so to speak, you know, it'll straighten itself out that way. So, mm-hmm. you know, you're going to get more blood flow, you, you know, the muscles are all going to relax. I, I would suspect it would be a good idea. I've, I have tried it myself a couple of times. And I would say my only concern with it, number one, if, if you're learning to do this, you want to have someone else around you when you're first learning how to use it because you don't want to get stuck upside down. Yeah, <laughs> and the second thing I found is it it gave me a little bit of a headache and it and it made me dizzy because all the blood rushes to your head. So sure. I would think if someone's got high blood pressure or circulatory issues, you might want to go cautiously with it. But mm-hmm. but other than that, I've heard good reports. And again, it, it's coming back to this thing that that you're talking about of putting the spine in this place where it has a breather from gravity yeah. and tension and torsion. Mm-hmm. Well, and to think about it, I've never met a bat with back pain, so. <laughs> you mean Batman hasn't been in to see you? <laughs> Not recently. Not recently. But I can't, dis- I can't disclose that. <laughs> Sorry, we can't talk about our patients. <laughs> All right. <laughs> what other tricks do you have up your sleeve or, or pra- maybe I should just say practices that you encourage your patients to do to help heal their backs? I would say we touched on one of them, which is really just the paying attention piece. And it reminds me of a gentleman I was treating for back pain. And I, we had just completed the treatment. He was laying on his back. And when he got up, he, he, let me go back up a little bit. He had left-sided kind of sciatica. So it was low back pain that radiated into his buttocks and down his left leg. Mm -hmm. And very common presentation. Very common. And Mm -hmm. he, as he was getting up, I happened to be watching him and he took that left leg and he lifted it up and then he swung it down. And that was his kind of counterweight to get his upper body up. Mm -hmm. And I, of course, you know, my eyes bugged out of my head and I asked him, is that how you usually get out of bed in the morning? And he goes, yes. And I said, so I said, well, we need to put a stop to this right now. And I the other thing that I teach people is how to get out of bed. And it, it, again, might sound like oversimplified, but it makes a huge difference. And I, since he has stopped doing that with his left leg, he's rarely has any of the sciatic pain. He still has some low back issues, but rarely any of that stuff radiating down through his uh, buttocks and, and leg it can be so uncomfortable and cause tripping if you have that numbness and stuff like that. But one of the things I do is I teach people when they're laying on their back and it's time to get out of bed, then what they need to do is roll onto the side that is uh, so that they're facing the edge of the bed, so they're, the side that they're getting off the bed, and bring their knees up, allow their feet to come off the bed, and then use their – the tendency is to use their – elbow or shoulder that's resting on the mattress to push them up, but that actually can cause quite a bit of shoulder tension and pain. So what they want to do is use their opposite arm, just place that hand flat on the mattress and push up their upper body while their legs swing down off the bed. And it becomes this very easy counterweight 
to get their body up with very little strain on the spine. So that's one of the other things that I teach people because getting out of bed is can be quite uh, a strain on the back depending on how they do it. And I've since learned, again, to try to teach people that technique. It's very simple. I think it was a chiropractor, actually, that had taught me that a long time ago. Mm. I rarely have had back pain. Mm-hmm. I had it a few times. And what I've learned when I have it is there's all kinds of habits I have. I can't move that way when my back hurts. And getting out of bed is one of them. Mm-hmm. And I, I did something a little bit different the one time that it flared really badly, which was, did I pull my knees up? I can't remember. But I, but I would sort of walk myself up with my hands. Uh-huh. And that felt so much better. Than <laughs> it's funny, just isn't it? The, it is. Than just these sort of swinging motions or even just laying down in bed. I find mm-hmm. that if I would come back and rest on my elbows and then lay my back down, it would be a lot more comfortable than just kind of flopping back. It's very interesting when you start dissecting the mechanics. It's very interesting to see what sort of movement is the one that creates the most tension or the least tension. Yes. And I suspect for many of us, when we're having a moment of pain, because we're trying to get away from the pain, we're kind of checking out in that moment, right? We're just mm-hmm. trying to get through it, and we're not noticing what we're actually doing with our body that, that might be creating that discomfort. Yeah. So like you said, become the detective and, and inquire into the discomfort. How did that get there? What makes it better? What makes it worse? Right. I find this so interesting, too, because I think a lot of times people will accept pain because of a diagnosis or because of their age. They'll just think that, you know, I'm getting old. So I I guess I have to accept that I have back pain or I've been diagnosed with arthritis or they've had a car accident or surgery in the past. There's so many causes, potential causes of back pain that, you know, even scoliosis, you know, something that they're born with that they think that the back pain is forever. And I know, at least from my experience, that that's certainly not true. And in most cases, we can we may not be able to eliminate the pain, but we can certainly get it down to a level where it doesn't require medication and can really enhance quality of life kind of stuff. I've seen the same thing. And, and of course, the postural habits that people work on for themselves can make such a big difference. I... I had someone in my clinic recently, oh, yeah, I've got this really comfy, soft couch. And she was sitting in the couch, and she gets out, and she goes, oh, I really shouldn't do that. It's so bad for my back. It's like, yeah, well, if if that's not good for your back to sit on the couch, there's a nice hard chair right next to it. And sometimes people will have furniture at home that doesn't help their back whatsoever, but, you know, it's old and it's comfortable right. and maybe you don't want to buy something new or, I don't know, maybe you've got patients like this too. They think, well, maybe I should get a new mattress, right? Oh, I got this mattress mm-hmm. and, it, you know, it, it's kind of soggy and it's like, but when's the last time you got a new mattress? And, then, oh, you know, 17 years ago. So sometimes things like furniture or, or beds can make a big difference in, in uh, how our bodies are supported. 
Absolutely. And in fact, when I do my initial intake and I, we talk about the onset, you know, when the back pain happened and if there isn't any clear, it's a gradual kind of thing. We're not sure what the cause was. I'll just ask questions like, did you get a new car around that time, a new chair? And so you also, I also ask about new things in mm. addition to what you go after, what you're mentioning is the old things. Is it time for something new, like a new bed or a new chair? Or did you get a new job? Do you have a new desk set up? Um, the Oh, gosh, the other thing really big is <laughs> I ask them if they have a, a tablet, some kind of iPad or tablet, and are they reading in bed? Because mm-hmm. I've learned that the way they hold those things up, or not just they, I mean, I've noticed this too, the posture is horrible yeah. in holding those tablets up and they're heavy and it's really difficult to support them, even sitting in a chair. It, so that's one of the kind of the relatively newer things that I will consistently ask about texting, tablets, you know, position, head position, shoulder position for those things. Yeah, that's a it's a real opportunity for some mindfulness and and to be aware of where you've got your body in time and space. Lisa, any closing thoughts that you'd like to leave the listeners with? I'd like to let people know that, you know, anyone who has back pain to just first of all, make sure they get it evaluated by their primary care, but next just try to sleep or rest on your back for 5 minutes each night. Really take that pillow out from the bed, put their head on the mattress and just breathe, just feel their system, their body relax and just try to do that. Even if it's just five minutes every night, right before they go to bed and five minutes in the morning, right before they get up, even that amount of time can make such a big difference in how they feel and how their body heals. So I I encourage people to do this. Honestly, Michael, it doesn't even have to be because of back pain. Mm Mm-hmm. It, it, it does bring that mindfulness. It brings that sense of rest and peace, takes tension off the body. It allows them to feel their system in a really, really different way. Do you have this handout on your website? I do not. And part of the reason I don't is because I go through it with each person individually. Mm-hmm. But as a courtesy to you, if you'd like me to do that, I could certainly put that up there. Well, or you could send me a copy of it and I'll put it on the show notes page so people could go there and get it. Perfect. Yeah. Any other caveats that you would have to say to people that are going to go and get this off the show notes page? Oh, I don't think so. I mean, the one, the one I always have is I have this written in there is, uh, you know, make sure you get other kind of more urgent causes of the pain ruled out. So go to your primary care, make sure that there isn't any, emergency cause of the pain. And, and, you know, most people have had chronic pain for a number of years and they, they haven't yet to get it really evaluated. And I always encourage people if they can to get the MRI or the CT scan or something that gives them more information. And 99% of the time, that's just a rule out other things. It might not, not tell us exactly what's going on. Um, but at least they have that piece of information. And I guess the other thing is, is if it hurts more to lay on your back, then don't do it. If it, if it really hurts more, and there are some cases, I have had a few cases, I'm glad you brought this up, of herniated discs where they really, they might need even a little gentle pillow under their back in order to lay on their back. And then that changes things a little bit. I've had a few people where they've needed a really shallow pillow that does support their shoulders and their head. So their head isn't exactly flat. And sometimes that has to do more with kind of heartburn, hiatal hernias, 
and they need to be or breathing, they might need to be up just a hair. And so th- it is important to, as we've discussed, listen to your body. And if it's creating more pain to lay in that position, you don't want to be, you know, sweating bullets and looking at the clock or trying to get it, you know, do five minutes and it's hurting. That would be counterproductive. Right. It, it should feel better. Should feel better. Even if there's a little tension initially, just because it's such an unfamiliar position, you kind of have to be aware of that versus it's actually creating more pain or discomfort. It's been great to have you on the show. I'm psyched to see my patients this next week who have back pain because I've got something new to share with them now. (laughs) Well, I'm psyched to look up that book that you told me about, Eight Steps to a Pain-Free Back. So thank you for sharing that with me and love hearing your experiences with your patients. Great. All right. Thank you. Take care. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Everyday Acupuncture. If so, please take a moment, click on the iTunes review button, and leave a review of the show. And be sure to tune in again next week. 